0: Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at Dr-History.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment.
1: Well, he's back from a trip to the Southland, and we are so pleased to have him back. All is well in the family. Good morning, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. Good to be home. Nothing like... Good old farm country, right? Well, I am very f- happy that everybody's well in your yep. family. doing good. Doing, doing good. Yep, yep. And you called in last week with a very interesting program. The thing about calling in, though, i got to tell you, we can't share the same camaraderie that uh, we do face-to-face. Yeah, because I
0: can't hear when you want to interrupt.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you can hear me now. Uh, well, what are we going to yeah. talk about today? We are
0: going to talk about the Indians. The Indians in general, kind of, and specific.
1: What tribe?
0: A a number of them.
1: Oh, okay. So uh,
0: kind of of a history, really, for hundreds of years. Oh, okay. okay. So, you know, just about everything we read about the American Wild West is written from the white man's point of view because, True. you know, the Indians didn't, they just passed it down from, uh, by word of mouth. But Theodore Roosevelt wrote a book called The Winning of the West and that kind of became a catchphrase as people started heading west but if you look at that from the Indians' viewpoint, uh, the experience really should have read The Losing of the West mm-hmm. which is what happened. But, you know, the Americas were home to some 1,300 Indian civilizations, and though their world was really not a, really a peaceful Garden of Eden, the people of these diverse cultures, they lived comfortably, comfortably in it, uh, according to their own concepts of civilization, uh, they had thousands of years of experience in what was to them, not the new world, but their homeland, this was where they lived, uh, it was only new to us. Now, the Hopi Indians, they had an oral tradition that describes the destruction of three previous worlds before the world in which we now live. In other words, they are saying that there was a geological history in the area that the Hopi lived in. And their legends are the result of the experiences, which actual geological activity. I mean, we're talking like uh, earthquakes and uh, volcanoes and things like that. Uh, So... They could have been here for who knows several, you know, hundred thousand years. We don't know that, mm-hmm. but it was passed down. Yeah. Now the Euro- Europeans viewed the Indians as kind of a hostile group. The American Indians were really a rich and diverse patchwork of cultures. Uh, so, you know, the Western expansion of the United States. Kind of signaled uh, for the American Indians an end to the life as they know it. And we've talked about that a
1: lot, you you know. May I interrupt you with a question? Sure. Okay. We talk about this, and today it seems to be so prominent. Oh, we're white nationalists, or some derogatory term they want to throw at us. But really, when you look at the United States as a frontier country, how different... Could it have been? Would it have been? Or should it have been? Without expansion from the Caucasians from the East Coast to the West Coast, right?
0: It, you know, that's that. that you get into the manifest destiny. Thing, there
1: you go. You know. There you go. But,
0: You know, unfortunately, the Indians were the result of of all that, Uh, but it kind of triggered their last-ditch effort to save their world. No matter how peaceful or warlike their contacts with whites, the effects were always devastating to the Indians, Uh, their culture and their way of life. And so for the Indians, the West was wild only because the white men made it so. Now, as early as 1805 and as far east as New York, this Indian view was expressed by an Indian by the name of Red Jacket of the Seneca Indian tribe, and his reply to a missionary's request that they attend his sermon. Here's what he said. We are told, he said, that you have been preaching to the white people in this place. These people are our neighbors. We are acquainted with them. We will wait a little while and see what effect your preaching has upon them. If we find it does them good, makes them honest, and less disposed to cheat Indians, we will consider again of what you have said.
1: Wise man.
0: Yeah. There's another quote, and I can't remember who said, one of the Indians uh, uh, said, you know, you've had this Bible for a lot of years. Uh, you, the white people, uh, it's a, kind of a shame that you're not really living by it, mm-hmm. like you should. And that's kind of a general. The Ten Commandments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, the more perceptive Indians saw white settlement as a threat to everything they held there, including their culture, tribal identities. In 1753, in a letter, Benjamin Franklin reported uh, this telling incident from a treaty negotiation uh, between quote one of our colonies. And the Six Nations. And here's what Franklin wrote. He said, When everything had been settled to the satisfaction of both sides, English commissioners told the Indians they had a college for the instruction of their youth, and they would be taught various languages. Okay? So the Indians replied after this, they said some of their youth had formerly been educated in that college, but that for a long time after they returned to their friends, they were absolutely good for
1: nothing. Mm. Which leads me to another interruption of a question. (laughs) did the indian tribes and maybe you don't have information on this did they have any quote unquote training or education for their young men and women
0: well i think it was just the i guess you'd call it the the school of hard knocks they learned how to shoot they learned how to hunt they learned how to track animals they they
1: learned how to take care of the hides so there wouldn't have been a progression from that society if it was never intermingled not as far as like say a book learning situation yeah. Yeah. or maybe innovative ideas new ideas it doesn't yeah. sound to me tell me if i'm wrong that there were innovative new ideas the only
0: thing i can say is that i think in the field of medicine i think some of the indians learned more and more what worked as far as herbs and treatment for different things and some of those things have been lost some of those uh, medical treatments but they were some, in some some ways far ahead of the white men but, you know, by the time the Civil War concluded, the Indians everywhere were pretty well acquainted with the nature of the white men, and the white men fought for no reason the Indians considered civilized. They were seen as an invading force, a strange people with no reverence for anything the Indians held sacred, and who stole what they wanted and destroyed the rest. Mm. And again, that's kind of a generalization, but because, yeah. you know, yeah. there were some very good white men that tried to help the Indians and helped with the reservations and things like that. But, you know, the Wild West was also a time of glory in which Indian cultures rose to great heights and experienced their finest hours. And there were heroes, and there were some great leaders that came uh, to face the challenges. Uh, Sitting Bull, Crazy Horse, Red Cloud, Quanah Parker, Chief Joseph, Washakie, uh, Mangus, Colorado, Cochise, Geronimo. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were some amazing, in fact, you know, some of those uh, uh, chiefs were the white men thought they had gone to some kind of a special military training, right. which they hadn't, because of their uh, how they fought the white men. Well,
1: you didn't, I don't think, mention... Chief Joseph.
0: Yeah, I did. Did you? Yep. Okay. He was one of them.
1: There was yeah. a strategist that was far superior. Yeah,
0: exactly. He really was. But, you know, they fought for their way of life and uh, faced the end of the world as they knew it. You know, and a lot of Indians died. Of those who survived, some adapted. But all of them retained memories of what they had lost. And in the aftermath of the Minnesota Sioux uprising during the Civil War, while the Minnesota Dakota, also known as the Santee Sioux, were being rounded up and punished for their activities, some small groups escaped into Canada to join with Sitting Bull. And, you know, that's where Chief Joseph was trying to get yeah. uh, with his tribe, with the Nez Perce. But among them were the parents of a young man known as Owyese. O-Y-E-S-A. I can't say it right. But anyway, they decided to provide for their son's safety by sending him to a government Indian school. The boy finished school, went on to college, then to medical school. Uh, By then, he was known as Dr. Charles Eastman, and he was the Pine Ridge Agency's physician in 1890. Mm. So here's a young man that really progressed, you know. But he uh, witnessed the terror of the Wounded Knee Massacre of the Cheyenne, and some Indians adapted to the white ways only to reject them later in life, you know, some of them went uh, to the white man's world but came back, you know, Uh, there was a small Apache boy who was taken captive uh, following the destruction of his village in a Pima raid uh, by white Arizonans and was later sold for $30 to a traveling photographer from Chicago. Well, the photographer renamed him Carlos Montezuma, took him back to Chicago and subsequently gave the boy to a family in the city. Now, Carlos somehow earned his way through medical school to become a successful Chicago general practitioner. And though he was wealthy and popular among the, the local people, Montezuma was tormented by something from his past. He abandoned his wealthy patients and practiced to work among the city's poor. When his work uh, uh, started to damage his health, he was diagnosed with a terminal illness. He returned to Arizona to die in an Apache up. I mean even though he'd really? gone to the white world treated probably hundreds of white patients in the he, end he, he wanted, still remembered his heritage. He wanted to go back to his heritage. Wow. Yeah. wow. So there's all kinds, you know, the and, and you know some of those that were uh, kidnapped and lived with the Indians for years, they did not want to be rescued. They wanted to stay with the Indian tribe. Some, yeah. Now, you know, what is little understood uh, even today, however, is that almost every community in Canada, the United States, and Mexico were once an Indian community. And those communities, before the arrival of the whites, were part of hundreds of unique Indian nations uh, that blanketed the the whole continent. I mean, they stretched from the Atlantic to the Pacific, from Central America to the Arctic, clear up to Alaska, Alaska. and everything in between, and it dates back, clear clear back to the time of the Romans. I mean, thousands of years, really. So Mexico, the Caribbean, and they think that there was a possibly as many as 40 million people in, in that area in, in that I've just described. Uh, some were nomadic, but a lot of them actually had permanent settlements and communities. They ranged in size up to cities as large and sophisticated as any in the world at the time. I, we think of their tribes as just a small little you know community, but some were had thousands in, in their really? community and uh, so all of the land really uh, had an Indian nation of one kind or another. Now, not unlike today, the most dense populations were along the coast and the major rivers, so you can figure if you're an Indian tribe, you want to be close to water, right? A river, a lake, so Mexico, Florida, the Caribbean Islands, California, and they say there's, there's 600 distinct languages were spoken by the different communities, by the bands that made up the nations, there were Indian kings and prophets, uh, land and water trade networks interconnected the Continent. Now, uh, quite a few years ago, I met with a guy that lived here in Burley, and he had collected and found a lot of Indian arrowheads mm-hmm. over the years mm-hmm. when it was still okay to to pick them up. Mm-hmm. And he showed me an arrowhead that was distinct only in Florida. Really, and it made its way to right here in Hayburn, Idaho. Wow. So, we know that there was a trade system that was going on uh, from tribe to tribe.
1: The so. language, if you don't mind another one of my interruptions, the language of the various tribes. Have you ever sat back and thought, okay, well here's the Pima and here's the Apache and here's the Comanches, etc. Why were there so many languages from tribe to tribe
0: you know that's a great question and i i really don't know i i think that they also use some sign language that may have been more universal But, but
1: when when our forefathers came here to this country as white european settlers if you will English was the predominant language, and it it pilfered all across the country. Right, but you had the Germans, you had the Swiss. But there was an adaptation to English. Right. right. Well, then you wonder if there wasn't in speech for the Indian tribes somewhat of an adaptation to the majority of speaking tribes.
0: And, you know, maybe there was some common words of some kind. I I don't know. You know, I mean, you look at the Navajo. You know, that uh, helped in the World War II. I've always wondered what
1: "utahay" means.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I think it's how are you. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, from the very first arrival of the Europeans in the Western Hemisphere, the whites, they marveled at what they saw. They wondered where did it all come from. Who were the people of these Indian nations, they asked, and where did they originate? Yeah. Well, the question of their origin <clears throat> uh, has never puzzled most of the Indians. Okay. All human societies have possessed versions of their own beginnings, and the Indians of the North America are no different so you 're
1: saying the Navajos today can really relate and somehow have a record of their heritage,
0: d- yeah. Yeah, there are some things that have been passed down. For example, among the Nez Perce and other Indian people of the mountainous Northwest, generations of grandparents told children stories of a time when the world was inhabited only by animals, all of whom spoke like humans and had human-like characteristics. Living by one of the waterways was a fierce monster who kept all the animals in fear by devouring them. Finally, the bold and courageous coyote... The tribe's culture hero jumped down the monster's throat and killed him by sawing up his heart with a flint. When the monster was dead, Coyote cut its body into small pieces, creating from each part a different tribe. In each case, the group telling the story related that it had sprung from the monster's heart or blood, which had made it the bravest and wisest of all
1: the tribes. Okay? So they... They had these traditions. But there was nothing printed. No. There was nothing on parchment. No. Except the only thing that we know that they tried to converse with future generations were wall uh, cave paintings.
0: Right. And, uh, you know, I think they painted on the sides of their teepees, you know, but but those were gone. Yeah. And I have no idea what. If that was even a language, it was
1: just animals. So we don't know as much as we think we know. No, not really. Now,
0: here's another example. In the desert southwest, the Hopi, the Zuni, and Pueblo descendants of the Anasazis, you know, the Anasazis disappeared, and they still don't know what happened to the Anasazis. But they possess a large body of sacred origin stories. Now, some of them tell of the emergence of their people through a hole from an underground lake. Now, others relate in great detail the climb of their ancestors toward perfection through three underworlds, okay? Uh, I don't know quite what they're talking about here, but the most common origin stories, however, illustrate a close spiritual bond between the Indians and all of creation, okay? The creator, the master of life, the great white spirit wonka whatever term the various Native Americans used, breathed life into humans. So there was a a belief of a higher source of some kind. I mean, we would call it God or whatever, but they had this image of somebody who was the, like, say, the great spirit or
1: whatever. I never really thought about it until you just mentioned it this morning, honestly. Uh, and I'm a fan, if you will, of Western history and everything else. But Indian tribes, really with no written or documented proof, we don't know anything.
0: We don't there is so much so many things that uh, that we don't know. Yeah. Now, here's another example, uh during the same time the Taos Pueblo elders told their young, here's what they said, when earth was still young and giants still roamed the land, a great sickness came upon them, all of them died except for a small boy. One day while he was playing, a snake bit him. The boy cried and cried the blood came out and finally he died with his tears our lakes became with his blood the red clay became with his body our our mountains became and that was how earth became wow so that's their version of i guess you would call it the creation of the earth but you know,
1: boy, we could go on and on about this. The fascination I've got right there is almost too still a supreme being and creation.
0: Yeah. So. Wow. You know they have attached their.
1: But none of this. None of this we really know for certain because there's no documentation. No. This uh, is really intriguing. Yeah. So. Uh, you know the Indians
0: tried to keep a balance between a higher power in themselves, yeah. and between the land and the people. Uh, but, you know, a lot of times, unfortunately, they're described as being savages and all this and that, when, in fact, they had some
1: spiritual uh, beliefs. How would they, as a tribe, be it Apache, be it Nez Perce, uh, whatever, how would they ever research or develop research when you can't go back very far?
0: You know, I, I know scientists have tried to use DNA, uh and there's the the thought that uh some of the northern tribes came across from Russia yeah. you know across the Bering yeah. Strait uh into the Aleutians and i wouldn't doubt that part of them did yeah absolutely you know uh maybe some came up from south america up into in central america or even into southern uh why did United you States? do
1: this this morning you really got my mind working overtime
0: <laughs> well you it's
1: know interesting. it's interesting
0: it's a fascinating story oh and, it is uh I don't know that scientists uh, will ever really. How can know. you? How yeah, can you? You really can't. Like say, DNA is the closest thing you can do to going back, you know, hundreds right. of years. Right. But even then, how do you how do you track it? How do you, you trace?
1: You really did it this morning, yeah. Doctor History. Anyway, that's. I it, it, that was, I was going to say it's great to have you back, and it is because that was a very thought stimulating half hour.
0: Well, I hope it gives people an idea that the Indians weren't. Just these savage guys that were bloodthirsty. Absolutely, you know, they were spiritual people, and but they had their own
1: spiritual. World. I see a lot of correlations uh-huh. between their lives, uh, lifestyle, and also others from other parts of the world. Yeah, yeah. 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 Got to run. Thank you. you God bet. bless you, man. Good to have you back.